All right. So we'll start today in Proverbs chapter three and then go to Second Chronicles six. We're looking through, uh, we're reading through Solomon's prayer. And so um, Solomon also writes most of our Proverbs for us in scripture. And what we'll see in Proverbs three I don't know if he writes Proverbs 3 before the prayer. It probably is after. Uh, we don't know exactly when all the Proverbs were written uh, or um, uh, for us, but we know Proverbs uh, 3 is written by Solomon. So he he definitely knows Proverbs 3 because he writes it. And uh, we'll see how this compares to his prayer uh, of dedicating the temple in 2 Chronicles 6. So Proverbs 3, and then we'll go to 2 Chronicles 6. And I'm just going to read... Um, you can read Proverbs 3, 1 to 8, talking about the ways of the Lord and how he wants us as his people to walk with him. Clearly, it is, um, you know, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. And as we learn God's ways, he is expecting us to acknowledge him in all of our ways. Look at verse 6. And he will make straight your paths, and not to be wise in our own eyes, but fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Uh, and then honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. It is an Old Testament way of the Lord for him to bless his people financially. Whenever they are obedient with him, that's an Old Testament truth. We don't see that reiterated in the New Testament. Um, and so I, I make that distinction because there are some in the New Testament, some churches that preach a health and wealth gospel. If you walk with the Lord, everything goes well and you get checks in the mail and you get all this wealth. Uh, that's not New Testament theology, but that is Old Testament Israel. And it's from... God's promises in Deuteronomy 28, uh, 29, here in Proverbs 3. But I wanted to point out Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. So when they aren't walking in God's ways, then Solomon writes in this wisdom book in verses 11 and 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. So when you're not walking in God's ways, you're going to get God's discipline. Okay, when you do walk in God's ways, Proverbs 3, 1 to 9, then you're going to expect wealth. But if you're not getting wealthy, and a couple times Achan's sin uh, caused the whole nation to be defeated. You remember the book of Judges where they're going into captivity, in and out of captivity constantly uh, because they weren't walking in God's ways. And it's clearly connected to disobedience and discipline. So when you're not walking in God's ways, which is... Proverbs 3, 1 to, 1 to 9, then God's going to discipline you. And as he disciplines you, don't despise it. Don't be weary of it. Verse 12 continues, For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And this matches Hebrews 12. Uh, and we have heard uh, of church discipline recently in our church. So uh, not despising the Lord's discipline. There, I, I point this out because as we go to Second Chronicles now, chapter 6, Solomon's going to anticipate that uh, in dedicating the temple, that there's going to be several different scenarios of discipline. 
And so, and you'll see in, in Second Chronicles 6 and 1 Kings 8, that they're dedicating the temple. We're going to walk with the Lord. God's glory comes. And as Solomon gets up in front of the whole uh, congregation of Israel, he's remember, he sets himself up on this uh, platform and he's praying a lengthy prayer of about 30 verses long. We covered about 10 last week. We'll probably only get about six uh, today, uh, but we'll see a couple scenarios. And at the end of verse 22 in Second Chronicles 6, he says, and listen from heaven, he's talking to God, listen from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So he uses that word forgive, uh, and how do weak, sinful people get close to God? Well, with sacrifices in the Old Testament, with priests, and with a temple, and this temple is going to be the center of worship, but it's also the center of like a channel. If you think of a channel, a channel is something that connects resources. Uh, if you're in a very dry part of the world, they often have irrigation. Uh, if you look at Google Earth and look at the Nile River, the Nile River on Google Earth is in the middle of the desert, but all along the Nile River, there's green uh, because they have made channels out from the Nile River to make Egypt, which is a desert, to be able to produce crops. And so those channels connect water to crops. And so, and you think of a canal, the Panama Canal, the Suez Canal, other canals that connect uh, bodies of water. And Panama Canal helps ships to not go all the way down around South America, but to go across and save oh, thousands of miles of shipping. So a canal connects two bodies of water. So what we're going to see in Solomon's prayer is the temple is a connection. It's a connection of God to sinful people. We have the idea of sinfulness with the idea of forgiveness. Who needs forgiveness? Well, only sinners need forgiveness. If you haven't sinned, you don't need forgiveness. So Solomon's anticipating a people who are going to be sinful, and they've got this temple now, and they're going to connect to God through this temple. Okay, And so that's so and he's now he's going to come up with a, several scenarios. He probably had this this prayer written or he rehearsed it uh, because uh, he has these different scenarios. And we'll see how how this temple was going to be the connection of the sinful people to God. So he starts in verse twenty two. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house. Then hear from heaven, act and judge your servants, repaying the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. So this sounds like the scenario that Solomon was aware of that showed, remember Solomon's display of wisdom where these two ladies, one uh, killed her son in the middle of the night, the other's son was alive, and Solomon had to figure out who was telling the truth. Um, this scenario could be played out multiple times and not everybody's going to be able to to have an audience with the king. So what do you do whenever you disagree with your neighbor? One's a, is a sinning against his neighbor. The other has been sinned against. And uh, they come to um, they come to your altar in this house. So they're coming to the temple. And it's not going to be Solomon there that's going to determine who's guilty and who is innocent or who's righteous and guilty. It's going to be God. And verse 23 uh, he's praying and said, when this happens, 
uh, two people can't get along. This is private sin. And these two people come before God. And then he says, I want you, God, verse 23, to hear. And he's always hearing from heaven. He doesn't say hear from this place. You'll see heaven mentioned in all of these different scenarios where this temple Solomon seeing is our connection to a God who's in heaven. And so we're praying with this temple in mind in this place, but this place connects us to heaven. And just like our praying, I hope you expect today to connect to heaven. We don't have to, you can connect to heaven. You don't have to come to a temple. You don't have to come to a church, uh, but we can connect to God through Christ and Christ is our high priest, right? So, but in the old Testament, they didn't have Christ as their high priest. They had actual priests and they had a temple and Solomon anticipated there would be a lot of sins, uh, private sins between people in Israel, and they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't get justice, so they would come to the temple, and they would figure out who was innocent, who was guilty, and God was going to de determine this. So in all of these scenarios, we have an expectation of God's people, and then an expectation expectation of God at the temple. So the need number one is discerning justice for private sins. So man number one sins against man number two, or woman, doesn't matter. Um, man number two brings, who has been sinned against, brings his neighbor, brings the person guilty to the temple and asking God to give justice. Okay, so what's God doing at the temple? Verse three, or 23. What's God doing? God's hearing He's acting, he's judging. And how do the people that uh, are crying out to God, asking him to act and judge, what is he doing in a way that they know that he answers their prayer at, at the temple? He's going to repay the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head. There was a scenario that, that um, the law had where if a woman was, or a husband thought his, his wife was unfaithful, he could bring her, and it sounded like a similar situation to this. That was very specific uh, sin, but this sounds like general. So anyone who sinned against, uh, bring you want justice, uh, this is, it's going to be obvious. So what that repaying the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head, I don't know what exactly that was. It was probably God deciding, and the punishment's going to fit the crime. God's going to determine who's guilty, who's innocent. And it's clear that one party is guilty, the other party, if you look at them, they are going to be vindicated, uh, vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. And this idea of vindication shows up in many of the Psalms where David and others crying out, vindicate me, God, in your righteousness. Uh, help me uh, because I have been righteous and the wicked are rising up against me. So asking God for vindication is throughout the Psalms, but we see it here in Solomon's prayer. And this was an anticipation that the average Israelite, the average person who's worshiping God is going to get justice at the temple. All right. So that's need number one. Uh, God's going to hear. God's going to act and judge and give punishment and reward according to their deeds. So application for us. God gives justice when those who sinned against us, this would be having no proof because they could decide this in their towns if they had proof. But there's no proof. And they rely on God alone to give them justice. How many times have we been sinned against privately and we want justice? We want God to give us justice. 
Now, there are a lot of people and in a pro-choice, pro-life uh, America, there are Christians, unfortunately, that go and try to take matters of pro-life, pro-choice in their own hands, and it's not good. We should not be going and desecrating property and threatening abortion doctors and other things because that is not our job. Uh, we have two scriptures in the Old and New Testament, Deuteronomy 32, 35, and quoted again in Romans 12, 19, that says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. We see this in our kids. We see this in our grandkids. When someone's been wrong, they're like, I'm not waiting for mom or dad to exercise discipline. I'm going to I'm gonna give them what they deserve. No, no, no. You don't have the right <laughs> to take matters into your own hands. And I remember my parents telling me this multiple times as I had an older and younger brother that I was not in the position <laughs> to exercise authority over my brothers when they deserved punishment. Okay, that was mom and dad's job. All right. And so it is God's job to give justice. And so we leave guilty people in the Lord's hands. We see Jesus doing this at the cross. We see Stephen doing this as he's getting murdered, um, asking for forgiveness. But leaving guilty people in God's hands is something that the temple would provoke people uh, to do. So discerning justice, all of us need justice. We want justice for private sins. But the Israelites were with the temple expected to allow God to, to give that for them. All right. Verses 24 and 25. In all of these scenarios, 20, 22 and 23, they give man's responsibility, God's response, expectation of man, expectation of God. It's like that with 24 and 25. And then 26 and 27, we'll try to get down to verse 27 today. So the second scenario, verse 24. If your people, Israel, are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and they turn again and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house. Again, they're coming to the temple. All right, and then he's going to say some expectations for God. So what is the expectation of the people of Israel? Well, they've been defeated, and they can't blame anyone for their defeat except for their sin, all right? So sinners, they've been defeated in battle, and they know if, if they trust God, God's going to even fight for them. And over and over again, we have story after story in the Old Testament where this happens. And when they're defeated, like at Ai, small little city, they're defeated. They say, they say why, why were we defeated? Oh, because there's sin in the camp. And they discovered it was Achan. He was eliminated from the camp. And then they're victorious again. Um, it's like this throughout the book of Judges. When they're sinning, they're being defeated. They cry out to the Lord. God gives them victory in, this, in the cycles of Judges. So Solomon knows those cycles. Solomon knows the story of Achan. And he's expecting after he passes that there's going to be many other times where Israel are, are defeated uh, before the enemy because they've sinned against God. And after they have been defeated, they connect their defeat with their sin. They come, notice the word turn again, that sounds like repentance, and they acknowledge your name. Remember, when Solomon builds the temple, he's building the temple for the name of God. So part of this idea of God's name in the middle of Israel is that they can get forgiveness as they acknowledge God's name. So they're not blaming God for the defeat. God, why weren't you with us 
wait, 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 you sinned against God and God allowed that those people to, to judge you, to punish you, to, uh, for, to defeat you on the battlefield. Don't blame God. Your sin caused you to be defeated. So take responsibility. You're away from God and he, he wasn't with you. He allowed you to be defeated. So come back to God. Uh, acknowledge God's name. So this, this is how we repent and pray and plead with God in this house. They would do this with a sacrifice. They would do this uh, through a high priest, through, through a priest. Um, and then what is the expectation of God? So that was the expectation of sinful man. Now the expectation of God, verse 25. Then hear from heaven. Okay, notice again, heaven. Here, God hearing. Then God is forgiving the sin. That's taking it away from the people, detaching it from them, covering it. Uh, forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them again to the land that you gave them and to their fathers. So remember when Solomon takes over, all of the promised land is conquered. But as they start sinning against God, God's going to allow them to be defeated and they're going to start losing parts of their land from the outside uh, toward, toward Jerusalem. And if they will do this at the temple after they're defeated, uh, there's an expectation based on Solomon's prayer uh, that God will hear, he'll forgive, and then he will give them their land back uh, because God promised them. All right, so what is the application for us? God allows others to discipline his disobedient children so that they will cry to him. And we must rely on him alone to forgive and to restore. And the example of Achan or the times of Judges uh, in the Old Testament. Third scenario, uh, verses um, 26 and 27. So you can see how 22 and 23 was a private sin, two different people. Uh, 24 and 25 are clearly a national sin. So there are a lot of people sinning nationally, and this is going to happen as they start following Baal uh, and other false gods um, and not worshiping God uh, at the temple doing it their own way uh, so 24 and 25 is national sin and then it sounds like the, the rest of the scenarios are also uh, national sin as well so 26 when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them then We'll get God's expectation in 27. So 26, God is behind this. God is the one who controls rain. Uh, and there's a scenario after this that we know probably uh, Ahab and Elijah's story. Three and a half years, it doesn't rain. And if you have an agricultural farming society and those crops, those farmers don't get rain for three and a half years, it's going to be very difficult to farm. Okay, almost impossible. Okay, so drought would um, would cause their their crops not to grow, and they've got to say, okay, God has stopped the rain for us. Why did He stop the rain? Because we've sinned against Him. Okay, so how do we get right with a God that we've sinned against, who He has stopped the rain? Well, He says, okay, man's expectation, guilty, sinful man, uh, connecting. We don't have rain. We desperately need rain because we're farmers. 
and we've got to pray. Now, they're not coming uh, necessarily to the temple, but it says it in verse 26, now, if they pray toward this place. So they don't even have to leave where they're at. And Israel is a big, it's about the size of Massachusetts. So if you take the state of Massachusetts, turn it sideways, that's roughly the size of Israel. And uh, <laughs> it's a fairly good sized state. Uh, they don't have to come to, to Jerusalem here. They have to pray toward Jerusalem. So uh, it may be localized, it may be national, uh, but it, it sounds like a group of people because no rain in one area is going to affect multiple people. Um, and if there's probably a high high enough concentration of sinners in Israel, that God turn, turns off the rain and they all get together as a town and say, why aren't we getting rain? Uh, oh, because we've sinned. Okay, as a town, we're going to have a prayer meeting and we're going to face Jerusalem because that's where God's presence is is and this is what solomon's praying all right so they are praying toward this place they're again acknowledging god's name they're not blaming god for the lack of rain they're trusting uh, that well god will forgive them they're turning from their sin whatever sin it is a lot of times it was idolatry and they're also connecting uh, their sin to god's afflicting them god is punishing disciplining them all right. And so that's required of repentant sinners who are God's people. Verse 27, the expectation of God when his people do that. Verse 27, Solomon says, then here in heaven and forgive their sin. So here in heaven, they're praying toward Jerusalem, but that prayer is going up to heaven. God, you're hearing in heaven. You're going to forgive their sin uh, of your servants, your people, Israel, and he's going to do something more than just hear and forgive. In verse 27, what else do you see? He is teaching them the good way in which they should walk. It's a wonderful verse of teaching people uh, the good way, the way they should walk. So he's changing the way they've lived because the way they've lived has led them to sin and led them to God's judgment. And it's like all of us, whenever we're going the wrong way, and Proverbs 3, 1 to 9 tells us the right way. And you guys know 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. These are verses that if, if you or I go away from God, we should be texting each other and talking to each other and saying, hey, you need to trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. What's leaning on your own understanding? That's not God's way for the Christian. That's our own way. And we have to realize the way to walk with the Lord is to constantly trust in him who is the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one who can call um, into things, into existence that don't exist, Romans 4, 17. Mm -hmm. And so, and by faith, we trust him, we walk with him, we obey him, and we repent whenever we sin against him. So God constantly wants to teach his people his ways. And his ways are always the good way. Uh, a couple generations earlier, when Samuel was alive, he told Israel when they wanted a king that they were going to leave the good and right way, or they were they're going to be tempted to leave the good and right way. And Samuel says to them in 1 Samuel 12, 23 and 24, only fear the Lord and serve him with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. All right. And 
he says, if you obey God, the next verse, I think it's 25, says, if you obey God, you're going to be blessed. If not, you and your king are going to be judged by God. But here is how you walk with the Lord. Fear him, serve him with all your heart. What's going to help you do that? For consider what great things he has done for you. Now, how many more great things has God done for us in the New Testament than Old Testament Israel? We have no reason, no good reason, to abandon the good and right way that God has laid out. Now, the world's going to pressure us into following their way. And we're saying, nope, that's not the right way. That way leads to destruction. We know that. So um, there, there are times whenever we, um, we need teaching. And as we're repentant and God gives us forgiveness, he says, you guys need teaching. Uh, the prophets, the priests in the Old Testament, the godly kings would teach their people the good way in which they should walk. So verse 27 says, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk, because they're repentant, they're going to learn that, then grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. All right, so in conclusion, every everyone um, for all time who lives on God's earth is to live this way. Fear the Lord, serve him with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. This is God's way. Everyone uh, from Adam and Eve to us has to live this way. This is the good and the right way. Jesus showed us how to do this perfectly. So we have an example, um, 33 years of a perfect example. Now in Christ, we can and should too. So what's going to motivate us? The same thing that motivated the people in Samuel's day. What great things has he done for you personally? When you and I start thinking of how much God has done for us personally, we want to learn. We want to do walk in his ways. Mm -hmm. We realize that we've made a mess of our lives because we haven't walked in his ways. We haven't learned or we haven't remembered or we haven't obeyed things that we know. What's going to get us back is every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Do not blame God for any of our problems. Our problems are our fault. <laughs> the way to get right with God is to learn. We probably have abandoned his way. Probably trying to do life our own way. Okay. So trust in the Lord again with all of our heart. Don't lean on our understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct our paths.